They say this cat brother Craig is a bad brother. But I'm talking about Hatchet. Then we can dig it. The really real deal with Brother Craig, the Hatchet Man, every Saturday. Who is the Hatchet Man? Where is the Hatchet Man? Who is this Hatchet Man and where can we find him? Okay, okay. Brother Craig is the Hatchet Man and you can find him at WNTW 820 The Answer. The really real deal with Brother Craig, the Hatchet Man, on 820 AM WNTW. Well, 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 hello there, Virginia. It is that time again, folks. Yes, indeed, it is. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming at you not quite live like I usually am. <laughs> yes, I pre-recorded this. Uh, this is an intro uh, to the program. Today, I am actually headed up to the Museum of the Bible with some very dear friends from the Virginia Christian Alliance and the Salt and Light Council of Richmond. So that means your friendly neighborhood hatchet man is not here live, so there will be no phone calls, but we have uh, what we think is a wonderful program all planned out for you. Uh, We're going to replay uh, an interview for you that I was very blessed to do with my good friend, Mr. Ward Connerly, Uh, Mr. Connolly's latest book is Creating Equal, My Fight Against Race Preferences. And folks, the way I sling the hatchet of truth against these pulpit pimp politicians and these poverty pimp preachers, I'm literally standing on the shoulders of Mr. Ward Connolly. He's been fighting this fight for for decades, folks. And uh, so uh, he had a fantastic book. Prior to this that I was blessed to interview him uh, for, which was lessons from my Uncle James and his Uncle James was was a character. I'm telling you. And uh, and the subtitle of that book was Beyond Skin Color to the Content of Our Character. And so uh, really, really, uh, you know, check these books out. Uh, Lessons from my Uncle James. uh, It's a book from a few years ago and his latest book, Creating Equal, My Fight Against Race preferences, Mr. Ward Connolly. Now, in the second hour, we're going to have my very good friends, Reverend Carl Gallops. I lovingly refer to him as Brother Carl. (laughs) And uh, Brother Carl is the pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church, uh, which is uh, down in Florida. His latest book and all of his books now, all of Brother Carl's books have been uh, number one bestsellers. His latest is Gods and Thrones. And folks, you are you're going to be riveted if you happen to hang around for our second hour and listen to that interview. You are going to be riveted. You have to go out and buy uh, Reverend Carl Gallup's brother Carl. Uh, you have to go get his latest book, Gods and Thrones. And but uh, let me uh, share just a few words with you uh, here up until the first uh, commercial break, and. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in the news. And as you know, folks, I, I am your watchman on the wall. And uh, I refuse to keep silent, just like God commands me And uh, in the book of Isaiah. And Judge Roy Moore, this stuff is just going on and on and on. 
And my, you know, I'm not a mind reader, but my feeling is that uh, there is in all likelihood, there is a nugget, perhaps more than just a nugget of truth in these allegations. But at the same time, folks, these allegations against uh, Judge Roy Moore are from, if I'm not mistaken, they are from his pre-born again Christian days. And the word of God has a lot to say about forgiveness. As a matter of fact, the whole Christian faith is rooted in forgiveness. Okay. Uh, You cannot be a Christian unless you admit your sins and that you need the forgiveness of our big brother, Jesus Christ. If you can do that, you're a Christian. Okay. You are born again, Christian, because we're all born in, in sin and we all are in need of God's forgiveness, and we get that through Jesus Christ, period, all of us, okay? And that applies to Judge Roy Moore. That applies to, you know, these wicked Democrats that I'm always talk about, talking about. Uh, that That is just the way it is. Now, the key is, do we seek God's forgiveness or not, okay? Because it's an open invitation there. It's laid out for you. But God does not override our free will. We are created with free will. So, and the unfortunate thing is that the people that want to use that free will, and again, the Word of God says we are created free, but that we should not use our freedom for evil. And so, now, perhaps uh, more in his uh, younger days, had a thing for much younger women. I don't know. I wasn't there, okay? And uh, But in the last 33 years, as far as I know, and there have been no allegations to the contrary, the man has been faithful to his wife. And they're reporting that uh, there are five women uh, that accuse uh, Roy Moore of um, sexual misconduct, which is not true. There are two women that accuse him of sexual misconduct. The other three women, they say, well, uh, he either he dated these women or he attempted to date these women. And I kind of the sense I get from it, folks, is that this was a guy trying to pick up young girls and didn't know how, because there's not one single person that's come forward to say Judge Moore closed the deal. Okay. now compare. And, and, you know, this is grown folks radio. So when I say close the deal, you know what I mean. All right. And I don't have to write it in crayon. Now, compare. Talk about closing the deal that Bill Clinton closed the deal on uh, Juanita Broderick. Juanita Broderick says Bill Clinton raped her and, and not at a time when he was not in public life, but at a time when he was uh, an elected official. Uh, down in Arkansas. How about Monica Lewinsky, 19 years old, an intern, which means this is a part of her college studies. How about Paula Jones? How about Richmonder Kathleen Wiley? Very dignified woman. Uh, Husband had just uh, committed suicide the day before. The day before, okay? And this man, President of the United States. And Last time I checked, Monica Lewinsky was 27 years younger than Bill Clinton at the time. And so does this uh, forgiveness apply to Bill Clinton also? Well, of course it does. But again, 
just like with Roy Moore, and you know how I bring it and sling it, I'm slinging the hatchet of truth. There is no double standard. The same thing applies to Bill Clinton that applies to Roy Moore. You have to ask and seek God's forgiveness. And now, so how do we know? I'm not a mind reader. You're not a mind reader. How do we know if a person has petitioned the Heavenly Father and sought forgiveness? Well, you judge a tree by its fruit. Has the behavior stopped? Has it? And again, last time I checked, there's been uh, none of this uh, uh, type of activity from Judge Roy Moore for the last 33 years that he's been uh, faithfully married. His wife came and uh, testified. Now, if there's something lately, I don't know. But whenever someone has to go back 40 years into your life, to me, that raises a red flag. We've all done something in life. You want to check out the hatchet man? Yes, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. You want to check check you out in all likelihood? There's something in your life. Yes, you're guilty. All right. And this is what Satan does. And the way to beat Satan is you cannot play Satan's game. You've got to play God's game. That is the oh, there is only one way. OK, man alone will not defeat Satan. He will not do it. You have to turn to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you want to defeat Satan. That is the only way you're going to do it, folks. And so I would say if uh, Roy Moore uh, has, if there is a grain, and I mean, I don't care how small the grain, even if it's as small as, you know, this is a guy trying to hit on uh, girls way, way younger than him. uh, Just admit it. Admit it. And I'm going to tell you why people don't admit it, because what ends up happening is Democrats use the playbook of Saul Alinsky. And Saul Alinsky says no one can live up to their book. Our book is the Bible. And see, and it's a part of it's a it's an actual fact of Christian faith that we cannot do it alone. We only can do it with God. And so Roy Moore has to place himself in God's hands and that for many people, folks, That is a tremendous leap of faith. It really is. And so, of course, man is going to judge him. Of course they are. Of course, particularly the Democrats, the media. And remember what I'm always saying is these two camps and and, and what delineates the two camps is who is the author of your freedom. If you believe God is the author of your freedom, you're a Christian, you're a conservative, you're a constitutionalist. If you believe your fellow man is the author of your freedom, you're a member of the coalition of evil. You're a Democrat, you're a socialist, a communist, an atheist, a, a fundamentalist Muslim. You, you, are, you are part of some group of people that believes in using force. Okay? And so Judge Moore needs to use his freedom to admit, and I don't care how small or how large the, uh, the, the guilt is, admit it and ask for forgiveness. And if you don't receive the forgiveness, fine, move on with your life, okay? And uh, now the Lord's Prayer said, I know, you know, a lot of these uh, Democrats, particularly those that run the party, uh, they don't want to hear anything about prayer. I know that. I get that. Okay. But the Lord's Prayer has something to say about forgiveness. And it is this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those 
who trespass against us. And so if you don't grant forgiveness, you will not receive forgiveness. And so we, we, we have to understand the game we're playing. The Democrats, listen, you go down the list, and I, and I cited the list with uh, Bill Clinton. You look at Senator Menez, Menendez on trial right now, $600,000 bribe from Salomon Melgan. What's Melgan in jail for? 67 charges of Medicare fraud, $105 million. There, there's been no admission of guilt in seeking forgiveness. Menendez went to Jeffrey Epstein's island, the Lolita Express, uh, paid for by Salomon Melgan. And why were they on Lolita Express? Underage prostitutes. Why do we know about this? The cheapskate underpaid the underage prostitutes. Where's the outrage? Did the Republicans have any outrage on this? No. Did the Republicans have any outrage with Bill Clinton and all these women? No. Did the Republicans have outrage with the way President John Kennedy treated Mimi Alford, a 19-year-old intern? And what else was going on with Mimi Alford? John Kennedy not only had her in the bed on her fourth day in the White House, but very soon had her having sex with his friends while he watched. Was there any outrage? No. Okay. And so this is the way it goes, folks, right here in the state of Virginia. Was there any outrage with current Governor Terry McAuliffe's connection to Salomon Melgan? No, we just had an election. It was not even brought up. And so this is the way the game is played. They're going to leave it to watchmen on the wall like myself and very few others. We are the ones that are going to have to sound the alarm. And again, I do not have a double standard. In the same way I go after um, Terry McAuliffe, the same way I go after John Kennedy, the same way I go after Bill Clinton, the same thing applies to Roy Moore. The only there's there's one caveat, though. These Democrats never, ever, ever. They never admit to anything. They never get held account for anything. They very, very rarely have to pay for anything. And um, it's it's a very, very rare day when a Democrat gets called to account. Uh, and I'm praying that it happens in, in the case of the the uh, the two Russia probes. The phony deal with Trump and the real, real, the really real deal, Uranium One Russia probe with uh, the Clintons. And you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, folks, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so this is just how it goes, folks. On the Republican side, you're going to be held account because we call ourselves Christians. And this is a this is baked into the cake, folks. When you call yourself a Christian, you are going to be held to a higher standard. And so, but that does not mean we cannot call the Democrats out uh, for the things that they do. So just a little thought I want to leave with you because I know uh, the news media, they are bombarding you. <laughs> and I look, I'm, I'm feeling it too. We're being bombarded with this stuff now. So, but anyway, I'm a little bit long with my opening here. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, check out the, the um, ah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a break, folks. And um, 
I'm going to see you next week. Enjoy the program. And again, coming up right now, we have my interview with Ward Connolly. And in the next hour, my very good friend, uh, Reverend Carl Gallops. You all be blessed. Drive safe out there. That's right, James Brown. You tell him this is a man's world. And uh, hey, we got a real man, an onion-toting man in the White House. And uh, we have a real man, an onion-toting man as our guest on the line with us. And, uh, And I don't mean baby pearls. I mean a man that has been dealing with this kind of stuff for 35 or 40 years. And uh, our fantastic guest uh, today, as I said, is is Ward Connerly. And we want to welcome back again my good friend, Mr. Ward Connerly. Mr. Connerly, how are you? Brother Craig, I am doing well, thank God. And I'm very pleased to be with you on this first day of a new era. Amen to that. And you you know, you do know, I know you had to be smiling. You do know why we played It's a Man's World to introduce you from, from your uncle, from your fantastic book that I read the last time I interviewed you, who he always told you, he didn't say you got to be a man. He said you got to be a man. He just... <laughs> <laughs> I made, I made. Yeah, and uh, I'm telling you, that is one of, I've get so many, you cannot believe the number of books I get in the mail of uh, authors that want to be a guest here at The Really Real Deal. That is one of the best books I've uh, I've read over the years of the thousand books I have in my house. I just, it was, it was, it, at once it was endearing, it was powerful, and, uh, and another reason I enjoyed it so much is that being a, a conservative who is a Christian and who just, who incidentally happens to have brown skin, which is like one-sixteenth of an inch of how deep you go into who the hatchet man is or, or who Ward Connolly is or who any American is. But the, the hatred that, you know, folk like us have to deal with, and I've always looked up to people like you and people like Dr. Walter Williams and people like Dr. Thomas Sowell. And, um, and I tell anybody that uh, all I'm doing is receiving the baton from great men like yourself, and I'm handed it off. Well, you're awfully kind, and, uh, and I just hope now that we can get the country back on the right course and, and bring happiness to more people. Uh, I have some very conservative relatives and um, I was shocked the other day when I went to visit my cousin at how disillusioned and angry many of my uh, cousins were with this first uh, black president, in quotes, and the uh, the job that he has done to the nation over the last eight years. I was mm-hmm. just shocked that they have uh, come to see God the way that I see him and the way that they uh, react to the Obama years. It was, wow. it was a shocking, pleasant, of course, but a yeah. very shocking thing. I wish I could about. say that, that I have cousins <laughs> that uh, <laughs> would come around like that. I mean, in, um, in my, well, 
on my uh, on my wife's side, we you know we have conservatives anyway. But on my side of the family, I'm telling you, it's just me, my son, my daughter, and I pray one day my grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, which I have five already. Uh, I want them to grow uh, up to be conservative Christians, also. Well, I'm just uh, tickled to death that uh, I'm going to strangle this dog. Well, uh, it sounds like he wants to get in and say, "Hey, I'm a conservative too," because <laughs> my dog is a conservative. You know, when my dog wants a treat, he doesn't act like he's on EBT. He'll perform a trick. He's earning his treat. So I have a conservative, uh, capitalist dog. <laughs> well, this one I think wants to get out rather than in. Oh, okay. Uh, but in any event, I was just tickled to death that uh, that someone that I hadn't talked to for probably more than a decade. Wow. But she knew she knew of my views and she mm-hmm. said, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, Amen. And I thought there is a God. Yeah, kind of like Winston Churchill's uh, saying that uh, if you're not a, a liberal in your youth, you have no heart. But if you are not a conservative as you grow older, you have no brain. Yeah, right. Well, we are now witnessing uh, a, 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 I think, momentary but hopefully long-lasting victory for conservatism for the American people mm-hmm. with the election of President Trump. Um, things have changed, and his speech yesterday was one that uh, will go down for the ages as uh, staking out the battleground and yes. the fact that we shall not be moved mm-hmm. uh, in this journey. So I'm just, I'm thrilled with, with the way things are evolving. I was struck by the fact that, you know, for years we've had uh, both, you know, these low-fat Republicans and, of course, the, 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 the neoliberal Democrats, they always have to give this laundry list of hyphenated Americans, okay, you know, the, you know, 10 different types of sexes. And then you got brown Americans and you got Hispanic Americans, black Americans, white Americans, Asian Americans. And we didn't have that other than uh, Chuck Schumer kind of, you know, urinated on the day rather than introducing um, Clarence Thomas as he was charged to do. He gives this speech with all these hyphenated Americans. And Donald Trump just simply says that it doesn't matter Black, white, or brown, we all bleed patriot red. Was that not refreshing to have unity it, rather than division? It sure was. It sure was. And uh, that suggests um, the project that I am now inaugurating, the American Identity Project, which I know that you will support, Brother Craig. Oh, yes. To blow up the hyphens. Let's get rid of these hyphens. If we're referring to a white person, in quotes, we don't have any hyphens, and uh, and the media refuses to even mention white, and I think that's their way of letting you know that the person is white. But if it's uh, a black person or a Negro or a colored person, as I've evolved through all of those identities, now it's an African-American. And I think it's time that we in our culture... Stop using the hyphens. Yes. Just refuse to use the hyphens. And uh, I think that will bring us 
closer together. Not not it's not going to solve the problem of race by itself, but because race is so nuanced, mm-hmm. and there are so many things that have to be done, including getting rid of any preferences, what we've called affirmative action. Stop all the talk about diversity. Diversity should not be our goal. It is the result mm-hmm. of the American experiment. But let's get rid of the hyphens and just refer to people as people. If you if you're the police and you have to you have to describe me, just say a an American who happens to be brown and who's bald. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go along with that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's a good so, one. Uh, that's a good one, Mr. Connor. And you know, I just wrote an article. Um, it was published Monday on on the Dr. King's holiday. Uh, and was I read it? Oh, okay. Good article. Thank Good you. Good article. Thank Good you. Article. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now, Mr. Connolly, we're up against our bottom of the hour news break. And uh, would you would you hold over for another segment or two? Yes, sir. For you, I will be delighted to. Oh, thank you. You are so kind. And uh, Virginia, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. A man and his microphone, brother Craig. Welcome back to the program, Virginia. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, here coming back at you live here on Virginia's big dog radio program, The Really Real Deal. And folks, we have a really real deal guest with us today. And uh, when you often hear me talk about it, every now and then I get a complaint about it. But for the most part, I think folks like it when I talk about onion toters. And uh, and I don't mean baby pearls. But, <laughs> but we have a guy that's been toting those onions around uh, for not only for black America, but for America. For uh, Mr. Connolly, we, Ward Connolly is with us if you're just joining us. Mr. Connolly, how many years have you been doing the Lord's work on behalf of this great nation? Well, Brother Craig, as far back as I can remember consciousness, um, I have been toiling in the vineyard here about uh, equality. And my family was one of, of uh, a lot of mixture of Irish and Choctaw and and uh french uh i'm a, i'm a i'm a i'm a mixed up guy and my grandmother and my uncle james were always saying you're just a 
you're just a young man, and someday you'll be a man. A man. A man. <laughs> and here are the things we want you to do to be a man. Yeah. And uh, Uncle James often said to me as I grew up, you're not African-American. You ain't ever been to Africa, and I don't think you're going. <laughs> and so that stuck with me. And I, I sort of bristle whenever anyone stumbles on the terminology of African-American mm -hmm. because I can sense their discomfort with it. Mm -hmm. And so where, where does that lead us? It leads me to the point that why don't we just stop using the box hyphens? Yes. Stop doing it. Yes. And uh, acknowledge each other as children of God. We're Americans. We cherish our country. We value it. And we just want to be Americans. Uh, now, I can understand that the police probably need to describe people. Right. And that's the only value in having some uh, identifications about my ancestry. Right. Um, and they don't even do that, Mr. Connolly, when a lot of times... You can tell who the criminal is because if if it's a white guy, they'll say white, and they, and oh, they would love it if he had like a bald head with a tattoo. Ooh, they would eat that up. But if he's yeah. if he's any shade of brown, you have to wait several hours even to get the information. That's right. That's right. You're exactly right. So I I think that it's time that in our culture uh, we get rid of these hyphens. Uh, I don't know which way the Census Bureau is going to go, but they can't command us to use the hyphen. Right. Uh, so since they can't command it, we should just take things into our own hands. And just stop. Uh, and just stop. Amen to that. And you know what this is? Um, I, you know, I, I've been blessed with a lot of uh, mentors in my life. As I was, uh, I went on a, a, a good long thing about this last week of, uh, the the many many father I didn't have my own father but God in His wisdom and grace and mercy has given me so many father figures both active in my life and and men like yourself to whom I could look and I have a, a fantastic mentor that really really understands the nature of warfare and he he's an expert he actually actually coined the phrase strategic indirect warfare. And that is what this is, because warfare has morphed from uh, bombs and tanks. It has morphed into the information age. That's right. And this That's is right. and so and we on our we in the Christian Conservative Constitutional Coalition, many of us uh, don't even realize that we are at war again as we are every every four generations. We we're, we're at war. You know, from the from the uh, Revolutionary War, you you go uh, eighty six years to. To four generations to to the Civil War, you go another 80, uh, 80 years, four generations again to World War II, and here we are, four generations again, and we're we're at war again. But the Brother weapons, Craig, we're at war at home. With the, yeah, at war, at war, at war, exactly. And the Democrat Party is uh, just like in the Civil War. The uh, and, you know, and, and and a lot of these Black Lives Matter folks talk about how many blacks were lynched. The way I describe it is that it wasn't necessarily just a black on white thing. It was a Democrat on Republican thing because. If you were a uh, black Democrat, they would not lynch you. But if you were a black Republican or a white Republican, they lynched 3,600 black Republicans and they lynched 1,300 white Republicans. And people don't yes. know that. Well, if you watched your screen last night, America, and you saw what was going on on the streets of our nation's capital, 
with people throwing rocks and breaking windows and engaging in all sorts of violence. There isn't much difference between that and what happens in many foreign lands. Yes. Uh, We we are at war, and uh, we should not be surprised when some members of Congress refuse to participate even in our democracy as uh, we uh, engaged in that experience yesterday. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be surprised. It's just a it's a different form of war. It's different things being hurled at, at uh, the, the victors of, of November 8th. Yeah. But make no mistake, we're at, we're at, it's a culture war that we're engaged in. Yeah. And we, sh- we should not be surprised when the, uh, when the left uh, uses their weapons. Exactly. And I was sharing before you came on in the first segment that this is uh, the Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. And in the book of Nehemiah, it says when Nehemiah sought to make Jerusalem great again. okay, and and, in the biblical words, he said to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Now, what's Donald Trump doing? Rebuilding the walls of America. And it's and in Nehemiah, it said Sanballat, Tobias and the Arabians heard about Jerusalem being rebuilt, and they were angry and sought to hinder it. And this is what I feel is happening. And a part of that attack, to that hindering, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the words of Mark Lamont Hill. Yes. Well, if you hold a second, we're going to play a little clip just in case there's someone in the audience that has not actually heard what this uh, mediocre professor said about uh, black men who are giving uh, President Donald Trump a chance. Uh, Roll that clip, please. Uh, You know, I I love Steve Harvey and I have respect for Steve Harvey, and I think his intentions were accurate or or appropriate, rather. But but my disagreement is the way in which he's being used by folk like Donald Trump. Again, his intention is just to have a seat at the table. But when you're at the table, you should have experts at the table. You should have people who can challenge the president at the table. I don't care if Steve's there, but if, if I'm Steve Harvey, I'm bringing Michelle Alexander. I'm bringing Cornell West. I'm bringing Imani Perry. I'm bringing Eddie Glaude. I'm bringing Michael Eric Dyson. I'm bringing some folk with me who can oh challenge God. the president and inform the conversation. Now, play the next little seven-second clip, please. It was Listen, a bunch of mediocre when, Negroes being dragged in front of TV as a photo op for Donald Trump's exploitative campaign against black people. Okay. He, he referred to all these fantastic individuals, um, Steve Harvey, Jim Brown, Dr. Ben Carson, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess he would be referring to me and you too, uh, Mr. Connolly, uh, right. as, as yeah. mediocre Negroes. And I mean, and I say uh, Mark Lamont Hill is a mediocre Negro because he does not understand. I mean, the fact that Donald Trump has the wisdom to seek out magnetic personalities to to help make inroads into uh, a voting block that is voted 90 percent Democrat for years and years and years. I mean, it's uh, it's even biblical that you would seek out people that can communicate, because when Moses complain to God that I can't be your prophet, God, because I have a speech impediment. What God didn't say, well, I'm going to fix your speech impediment with my magic wand. He said, well, fine, you can't talk, but you still my man, your brother, Aaron. He speaks quite well. Tell him Mm -hmm. what to say and let him do it. I mean, am I correct in my biblical interpretation, Mr. Connolly? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As mom, my grandmother would say, praise the Lord. (laughs) 
<laughs> so this is uh this goes way 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 back and uh in advertising they use it all the time they they don't go and get an expert to sell you a uh a red corvette they get a woman in a red miniskirt and she sells you you know she <laughs> she sells you the red corvette okay i mean That's right <laughs> trump is actually being a genius here to go uh, i mean jim brown i mean the greatest I mean, there's no running back as great as Jim Brown, and nor is there one that has the many, many years that Jim Brown has on the front lines of civil rights. You're you're absolutely right, and we are. We should not forget that uh, that Mark Lamont Hill uh, is is one of the entertainment guys. He's he's on television to promote his team. The left, his team's uh, side of the war. I mean, that's yes. that's what he is doing, and we 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 give him too much attention, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he doesn't deserve it. If you really want to talk about mediocrity, look at some of the people he has mentioned. Absent television, what have <laughs> they done? Exactly, nothing. Yeah, yeah, they've they've done nothing. And uh, and as a matter of fact, Mark Lamont Hill, I think he's a professor of African-American studies. And what can you build? You can't build a bridge with it. You can't build a business with it. What can you do with African-American studies other than make some other black person angry and upset when he becomes a failure in life? You give him someone to blame other than that man in the mirror. That's right. That's right. I served, as you know, a 12-year unpaid sentence on the Board of Regents of the University of California. <laughs> a sentence. <laughs> a sentence. And um, the one thing I learned is that this, this soft curriculum of women's studies and African-American studies and Chicano studies is a great disservice mm-hmm. to, to uh, those kids who are corralled into those those areas of study, the only ones who benefit from that are the small handful who will graduate with African-American studies behind their name mm-hmm. and go to work go to work in the academy teaching. And that's about one one thousand, if, if that, of those who who matriculate to that area of study. Mm-hmm. But for all of the other kids who hang out in the... Um, the African-American dorm and the African-American section of the cafeteria and engage in that level of study, they're, they're getting a useless degree. Yes. There's nothing they can do with it. Yes. And then they are ripe. They are become fodder for Democrats that tell them that the reason you are poor is because a rich man put his foot on your neck. And the reality is that, a Democrat has uh, put his foot on your neck. And I've long said that uh, a lot of these uh, civil rights poverty pimps uh, years ago told uh, the white Democrat in the South that, uh, you know, I want you to take your foot off my brother's neck because that's where I plan to put my foot, right on his neck. I'm going to keep him poor, I'm going to keep him ignorant, and I'm going to keep him voting Democrat. Yeah, and that's precisely what's happened over the last 30 years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now, Mr. Connolly, we got to take another quick break. And uh, 
could we hold you just one more segment and maybe you share a little bit more about your, this project you have to get people to uh, stop um, uh, self-segregating themselves? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, all right, Virginia, we're going to take another break here. We will be right back. If you're just joining us, our fantastic guest is Mr. Ward Connerly, uh, who's been in the uh, trenches for many, many years, uh, going all the way back to Ronaldus Magnus. And we will be right back. A man and his microphone, Brother Craig. Hello, Virginia. Brother Craig here with a little message about giving out of the abundance that God has blessed you with. If this great nation is going to be saved, then we in the Christian Conservative Constitutional Coalition have to be in the vanguard. There are so many brave and God-fearing groups and individuals engaged in the battle of this rendezvous with destiny. There are social welfare groups like the Salvation Army at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Military groups like Special Operations Wounded Warriors at SOWWCharity.com. Christian groups like the Virginia Christian Alliance at VAChristian.org and SaltAndLightCouncil.org. And there's also churches and others, many, many very worthy groups out here doing the Lord's work. So we support not only our own group, TheFirstAmendmentInc.com, which keeps us on the air, but the main thing for you, the listener, is to give. Give somewhere, give generously, and give often. And give in the measure that God has given to you. Thank you, Virginia, and God bless you. Listen as your day unfolds, challenge what the future holds. Try and keep your head up to the sky. Lovers, they may cause you tears. Go ahead, release your fears. Stand up and be counted. Don't be ashamed to cry. You gotta be, you gotta be bad. You gotta be bold. You gotta be wiser. Welcome back to the program, Virginia, your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, and you are listening to The Really Real Deal, and you were listening to a little bit of Desiree right there telling you exactly what the hatchet man tells you all the time and telling you what our special guest, Mr. Ward Connolly, has been telling you for 35 or 40 years. You gotta be bad. You gotta be bold. You gotta be wise. And um, we wanna say welcome back to the program. And you heard our uh, special little financial appeal right there during the break. And uh, we really do need your help to stay on the air. The, uh, the airtime is not free. Our fantastic uh, board operator, Sarah, here. Uh, Sarah likes to get a paycheck. As a matter of fact, everybody gets a paycheck except your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig. And uh, maybe one of these days we'll actually change that. But um, if you want to be a watchman on the wall along with your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, you can do so. Your opportunity 
to be a watchman on the wall and to, to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. Uh, this is it. Uh, you can send an old fashioned check in the mail. If you don't do the um, website thing, that's fine. If you do do the website thing, you can just go to our website, the First Amendment Inc., or you can send an old fashioned check in the mail to the First Amendment Inc., 8659 Staples Mill Road. 8659 Staples Mill Road. That's in Richmond, 23228. And uh, we would greatly, greatly appreciate uh, you rolling your sleeves up and becoming a partner with us. And uh, with that, uh, we welcome back again uh, our fantastic guest. I can't say enough about this gentleman, Mr. Connolly. I mean, the years and the years of um, the abuse that um, you have taken and uh, and great men like Dr. Williams and, and like uh, uh, Dr. Thomas Sowell. And you know, the thing, the beautiful thing, about our side of the aisle, Mr. Connolly, the, uh, and when I say our side, I, I refer to the Christian Conservative Constitutional Coalition, uh, people that believe in the Bible, the Constitution, that we believe in science, we believe in the laws of economics, we believe that you reap what you sow, but you've got to sow first, then reap. You know, we believe in things that don't change. Uh, so what I've heard about... Um, like, take, for example, uh, Dr. Thomas Sowell. I've never heard anyone say he's the smartest black man in America. I've heard it said my whole life, he's the smartest man in America. You know? Right. Or when, when, uh, when, when Ben Carson um, uh, does a, 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 a new surgery on an infant, it's not, he's not the first black man to do it. He's the first human being to do it. That on our side, we are already living and epitomizing the dream of Dr. King of an America that's colorblind, where you're judged by character, not color. We, we're right. already there. If, we're there. It's just that when you enter the world of politics, uh, that, that identity politics begin to intrude into our lives, and that, that virus spreads throughout and we cease to be human. Uh, our humanity is stripped away by the politicians, frankly, who are, who are seeking votes. And their their main product uh, happens to be the hyphen. Yeah. Because that's the way that they entrap you, entrap people into these buckets, uh, the bucket of deplorables and the bucket of African-Americans and the bucket of, of Mexican-Americans we, we, we have to rise up and defeat this. Yes. It, it harkens back to when I first was, as I say, appointed to that my 12-year sentence on the Board of Regents. <laughs> and I attended my first meeting, Brother Craig, and they were talking about what we have to do to build diversity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they were talking about the percentage of of African-Americans uh, that were enrolled at the university and the percentage of, of African-Americans. Um, and my head was spinning, and I thought, geez, I thought we were going to um, be moving toward a colorblind society where all these silly little boxes wouldn't be there and it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. If we have a, an academic institution that is 
more seeped in this junk than any other segment of society. And that's what got me involved in going to the people and getting initiatives on the ballot Mm -hmm. to eliminate race preferences. And I'm proud to say that we right now have eight states um, across the land that have put into their own individual constitutions language that says the state shall not discriminate against or grant preferential treatment to any individual or group on the basis of race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin. Amen. Um, and it, it just reinforces the notion that we, we're we the ones who rule this society mm-hmm. as the American people. And, and that, that, that's why I'm so encouraged by the election of Donald Trump, Trump because he's He's not from the political class. Mm-hmm. He he comes from the ranks of we the people. Yeah, a man that's uh, actually built things and, uh, you know, uses the uh, language of the everyman. And, um, you know, uh, I remember 30 years ago when he was a young, uh, not a billionaire then, but a young millionaire, and the elites on the other side of the river, uh, they, they looked down their nose at him as he... Uh, came up out of um, buying apart, you know, owning apartments for working class people to come into uh, what they thought was their arena, where he began to have these big, huge, beautiful buildings, and uh, they looked down their nose at uh, common the carpenter, the plumber, the the nurse. They they looked down their nose at folks like us. They sure did, and still do. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and it's it's just. Is so refreshing. And, you know, another one of the greatest things about what you accomplished is that you got started in California. And now there's must be something about California that I'm missing because all my life I've, uh, you know, we've often heard it said as California goes, so goes the nation, that trends start in California and then they sweep the nation. But typically they're negative trends, but I've noticed two positive trends that got started in California. One was the the initiative that that you started, but then another one was when uh, folks would put on a ballot initiative for these um, homosexual marriages, for marriage to be anything other than uh, one man and one woman. Even California, I was shocked when this happened several years ago, even California voted no for that and then voted in favor of marriage but of course uh, a judge ruled it unconstitutional now what's your take on how does this happen in california california is uh, a liberal state in many respects but california is also a libertarian state and the campaign that i waged to get rid of race-based affirmative action appeal to the libertarian side in which I said we should all be judged as individuals. Mm-hmm. And the, the the message that I've had the great pleasure of discussing with you this morning was precisely the message that I took to the pe- people of California, all 32 million. And people understand that. We, we have a, we are naturally diverse. Mm-hmm. And people that are here want to raise their families and be treated as equals. And despite the fact that our Constitution is is uh, colorblind and we have the 64 Civil Rights Act, 
the political left has been discriminating against Asians in this state with reckless abandon. Mm-hmm. And and my message has been, if you believe that discrimination is wrong, then it's wrong if it's against white males. It's wrong if it's against some Vietnamese kid. It's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Civil rights civil rights just aren't for black people. They're yep. for everybody. Amen. Amen. And uh, now and we that, have that, we have forty five seconds left. So uh, I'm going to give that last forty five seconds to you, sir, to wrap it up. I appeal to your audience to uh, first of all support you, but secondly, in your lives, get rid of the hyphen. Stop talking about people with these hyphens included. Don't check the race boxes. Uh, the only thing that really matters is we're Americans. And that's the only identity that you should worry about uh, when you describe people. When you, If you're the police, yes, you can describe them. But there's a big difference between descriptions and classifications. I abhor the classifications. Amen. And uh, thank you again, sir. And, um, you know, we're going to have to do this again real soon. Be delighted to do it. Okay. God bless you, sir. You too, Brother Craig. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. This is a man's world. This is a man's world. But it wouldn't be nothing. Without a woman, I can. Welcome back to the program, Virginia. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming at you live here on Virginia's Big Dog Radio program, The Really Real Deal. And folks, as promised, we have my very, very good friend, Pastor Carl Gallops. I lovingly call him Brother Carl, and uh, we have him on the line. And uh, folks, let me tell you a little bit about Brother Carl here. And, uh, you know, he's written another fantastic book. And uh, Brother Carl, he has honored me to appear on uh, this radio program more than anyone else. I think we're like maybe eight or nine uh, interviews now. And, uh, you know, we we have... uh, done literally about three or 400 interviews and uh brother carl is always among my favorites and i guarantee you brother carl my father-in-law is uh listening out in california uh you're one of his favorites too but this brother uh was a police officer uh this brother has been the pastor of a, a real pastor of a real church Hickory Hammock Baptist Church down in milton florida for 30 years okay he's a member of the board of regents at the University of Mobile in in Alabama. His first book uh, was in 2012, The Magic Man in the Sky. And, uh, you know, my sweet, lovely wife, Mrs. Hatchett, uh, suggested I read it. I initially scoffed at it, but, uh, man, I'm so glad I did what every smart man does. Listen to your wife. Okay, and and, uh, and brother, then uh, the rabbi who found Messiah out, that just blew me away. Okay, be thou prepared, final warning when the lion roars. And now you've done it again, brother. And uh, now I've not had time. I have to be honest with you, brother Carl. Uh, The book came in the mail late. Okay, it just came in the mail yesterday. 
And so I really um, be kind of, you know, I typically am very, very prepared. Like you say, be thou prepared. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a little bit, you know, I'm going to have to kind of work this one out. But, you know, we've we've done this dance many times and I think it's going to be just fine. But thank you so much. Um, You know, we really, really do appreciate you. And you've had me on your radio program, which was was a treat. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brother Craig, and to your wife and father-in-law. And I know those folks, they're precious to me and your audience. And, and, and thank you for your kind words. I appreciate it. Listen, I'm glad you got the book. I'm sorry it was late. Uh, there oh. was a mix-up with the distributors. We got all that straightened out, and they're going out now like crazy. And, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just you, brother. We didn't single you out. I oh, I know you would never do that. But <laughs> no, it's just sir. its so fascinating. You know Elohim. Uh, I mean... I mean, the things you write are just, and it's like, it's profound, but at the same time, it's like, wow, I've been hearing about this all my life. You know, Elohim, the Trinity, um, you know, let us make man in, in our image and in our, I mean, it's, I mean, even in, 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 in the, uh, the, the serpent, I just found it fascinating. And you just take simple truths and you stream it together. I mean, it's almost like, you know, Michael Jordan made it look easy, but he worked real hard. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, if it looks easy, let me just tell you, all praise to Jesus. And yes, there was a lot of hard work behind it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, and I do give the Lord all praise for this. Listen, I, I, this is my sixth book. All of them are unique. Every one of them deals with different areas of the Christian faith and the biblical message and theology and things going on in the world. All of them have a, a, a prophetic undertone to them. In other words, they, they're just looking at the times in which we live and then mm-hmm. explaining to Christians how to live, how to understand the Word, what our mission is, what's going on in the world around us. But this book is unique among them all, and it is critically acclaimed by some really big people. in in the Christian world, Mm -hmm. and um, it is, brother, one month before it was officially released on Amazon. By the way, it doesn't officially release till tomorrow, Mm -hmm. but it's been on Amazon for a little over a month, and um, so if you order it now, I mean, you'll get it the next day or two, right, from Amazon, Mm -hmm. just telling your audience that. It's called Gods and Thrones, Gods and Thrones, and one month ago, it was ranked number one bestseller in six categories on Amazon, and it wow. was ranked number 400 out of all 17 million books on wow. Amazon. So it was in the top one. That's in pre-order. One percent. That's pre-order. That's in pre-order, brother. Now, in the meantime, the reviews are just coming in because people are just getting them. And there are already five reviews, five five star reviews, and and you know, and I'll let you read them. I'm not going to read them; that'll mm. sound vain. But it's just people's lives are being changed because of this book. Yeah. And again, all praise to Jesus because yeah. you know the Word of God is the only word we ultimately need. Uh, but but books like mine, and there are other authors that occasionally will put something out there that really illuminates the Word, mm-hmm. and this one illuminates the Word in deep, profound ways that we just don't hear preached and taught from the pulpits anymore. This and, is what we um, need, brother. And, yeah, uh, I thank you, brother. And and I want your audience to know, this, this stuff that's in this book, I did not pull out of my back pocket. I used 36 scholarly commentaries, uh, the writings of modern language, uh, biblical language experts that are renowned with PhDs and peer-reviewed and, of course, examining the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
I use 24 scholarly translations of the Bible. Uh, but the but with all of that scholarly backing behind it and underpinning, I wrote it at the level that it can be every pastor, every person in every pew can understand it. They can get it. They can go, oh my gosh, I never saw this in the scripture before, but there yeah. it is. Yeah. And, and what I do is I just connect the dots, Brother mm-hmm. Craig, from Genesis yeah. to Revelation, and I keep it flowing in a nice stream mm-hmm. to help people see. Then I move it from the theological understanding. I move it right into today's headlines, mm-hmm. and that's where people freak out because they say, oh my gosh, I see it. Right. Now I know what's happening in the world. Now mm-hmm. I understand it. Now I get it. And then I move it from there into the life of the individual Christian, and I make it very real. And then I move it from there into eternity and the new coming, the coming age of Jesus Christ, the coming rule and reign, and what our place is in eternity according to God's Word and according to the story from Genesis to Revelation. So yeah. I, this I'm telling is you, not I'm, just for uh, pastors either, is it? This, no. Um, oh, you know, no. If the men out there are going to be the five Ps, you know, the priest, the prophet, the pastor, the protector, and the provider of your home for your family, if, you know, we play that song, it's a man's world for a reason. (laughs) This will help you do that, won't it, Brother Carl? Yes, it will. Yes, it will, brother. And that's, that's the whole point. And, uh, but uh, anyway, um, can I explain kind of how it came to be and what the Please. title means? I mean, we can start there because some people Please may do. be confused. Yeah, I like to have provocative titles, you mm-hmm. know, like Magic Man in the Sky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people say, well, I'm not going to read a book that calls God a magic man. No, I don't call God a magic man in the sky. The atheists call him a magic man in the sky. Right. So what I do is I write this book saying, okay, let's talk about this. Is he really magic? Is he just a man? Is he in the sky? Let's mm-hmm. talk about this. Okay, same thing with this. Mental jujitsu. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And 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 same thing with this title, Gods and Thrones. You know, people look at it and say, Well, there's no such thing as a pantheon of gods and and and, and you know, and that's Greek mythology. Well, I get that. And that's not what it means. When you start reading it, you understand. That's exa- that's, but, but, but the deal is, let me tell you where the title comes from. Mm-hmm. The title comes from this. There is a word in the Bible that is the most prolific word used for the name of God himself. And the word is Elohim. Elohim, it's a Hebrew word. And it's found, it's the very first name of God we're introduced to in the mm-hmm. Bible. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Okay, yeah. in so, the beginning, we created. Well, That's yeah, some let translations. Me, let me, yeah, well, yeah, but, uh, yeah, we, but that's, no, 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 that's a horrible translation. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after you read my book and mm-hmm. go through it, you'll understand. Mm-hmm. But it's, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. Now, because the only creator is God, and when we get to the New Testament, we discover over and over it said that Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. you know, is the creator. He created all things in him. All things were created by, in him. All things hold together. So I deal with all of that. Does, so does God present himself in, in a person? Well, of course he did in Jesus Christ. Does he present himself as a person in the Old Testament? Absolutely, and my and my book goes into all of that, backed up by scholarly, scholarly stuff. So people are going to be surprised what they what they read. But anyway, getting back to the title. Mm-hmm. So when you deal with this gods in the plural, why is that? All right, watch this. Elohim created the heavens and the earth. 
The word Elohim is a complex word. It's like our word deer or buffalo or glasses. Let me explain. Mm -hmm. If I shout out to you right now, deer, or look at the deer, all right, are you thinking of one deer standing in the woods that I just saw? Or are you thinking, oh, my gosh, look at all those deer. There's a herd of deer. Mm. All I said was, look at the deer. But, see, the word deer is plural or singular. Mm. See, it's, if it's in the plural, it's deer. If it's in the singular, it's deer. Mm. Well, how do we know if it's plural or singular? Mm. depends upon the context, and it depends upon the verbs and the uh, qualifying words around it. Mm. Buffalo, same way. Mm. If I say, look at the buffalo, same thing. Mm. One buffalo or a herd of buffalo. It depends. Glasses, the opposite. Yeah. All right, but now watch. Glasses <laughs> is even a little more complex. Yeah. Because glasses, if I say, um, hey, I need those glasses right there. I can't read this. Or if I say, hey, bring me the glasses. We're getting ready to have a party. Mm-hmm. All right? Two different kinds of glasses altogether, but it's the same word, mm-hmm. spelled the same, but one is singular and one is plural. Mm-hmm. If I use it for the things we put over our eyes, that's singular. If I use it for the things that are in the cupboard out of which we drink, that's plural. So, so the word Elohim is exactly like all of that. Mm-hmm. It depends. Whenever you see a Hebrew word ending in the I-M, mm-hmm. that's, that means it's plural. It's like our English S or E-S, okay? Like glasses, okay? You say, mm-hmm. well, it obviously ends with an S, uh, you know, uh, E-S, so it's obviously plural. no. Not if you're talking about uh, the glasses that we put over our face. That's singular. Oh, well, why does it have an ES? Well, it's one of those complex English words. Well, Elohim is one of those complex Hebrew words. So, now, here's the deal. The vast majority of the 3,000 times it's used in the Old Testament, the vast majority of those times it's used to speak of God. And it's usually found in conjunction with the word Lord. The Lord God said. Now, that word Lord is is Yahweh. God is Elohim. So in Hebrew, it would say, Yahweh Elohim said, Yahweh Elohim. All right, why, why does God prefer that title for himself, Elohim? 3,000 times it's used, and most of it, it is to speak of God. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't say in the beginning, Yahweh created. He doesn't say in the beginning, El Shaddai, or El Adonai, or Adonai. It says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. All right, now, here's where it gets really exciting and interesting, and I go into this in my book in great detail, Mm -hmm. because it sure does bring a lot of light to the New Testament as well. The word Elohim is translated mostly to speak of the name of God, but it is also translated because of the verbs and the qualifying words and the context involved to speak of the angelic realm the divine realm, the divine council, the heavenly host. Many, many, many translations in many, many places Mm. use the word gods with little g to indicate that they're talking about the divine realm. Why? Because the word in the Hebrew is Elohim, but it's clearly not speaking about Yahweh, Adonai. It's Mm. speaking about the divine realm. And so as a matter of fact, you say, yeah, but does God ever clearly say that himself? Oh, yes, he does. Psalm 82, where it says, Elohim is seated in the, in the divine council among the Elohim. And then he says to them, have I not called you Elohim? Wow, and, and then so it's it, used 
three, it's used three times there. Elohim yes. himself in one yep. tense, the council in another, and then yep. someone he's called Elohim. That's correct, and you discover through the context that he's speaking to the divine council around him, the heavenly host. So, but then when you get to the, the book of Hebrews, I mean, when you get to the book of Ephesians, now we get it. Because in the book of Ephesians, the Bible tells us that God is in the process of bringing the heavenly family together with the earthly family under one head, Jesus Christ, and that everything in heaven and on earth, watch this, derives its name from the Father. We share the Father's name. Hebrews, I mean, Ephesians tells us that. Now we understand because the word Elohim, it's also translated, like in the book of Job, B'nai Elohim, which means sons of God. And what do we hear throughout the New Testament? We shall be called sons of God. To them that believe in Jesus Christ, we are called sons of God. When we are with him in glory, we will be like the angels. We will be called the sons of God. What's God telling us? When our divine nature is restored because of the blood of Jesus, we will bear the name Elohim as well. Wow. And that Because it's his name. It's, yeah. it's his family name. And so... So and what but, psalm but, what psalm was that where Elohim was used three times? Psalm eighty two. Oh. But there are many others. My book outlines many other passages mm-hmm. that do this. I just gave that as an illustration. Again, oh, okay. when you read when you read the book, you're gonna be blown away, bro. Right, right. Yeah. And then you go from there to uh the the serpent and you know, and, and folks are uh taught that uh the serpent is all bad and but it's yeah. sort of a yin and yang there, isn't it? Well, yes, and let, let me just finish where I was going with that, and we'll move right to the serpent. That's perfect, mm-hmm. Brother Craig, because the title, Gods and Thrones. So what am I meaning there? Mm-hmm. Well, what we learn is, is that out of the divine council, the divine realm, by the way, you see the divine council in, 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 in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel said, and I saw a throne, and throne set in place, and 10,000 times 10,000 angels around the throne, the heavenly host, and then came one like the Son of Man, and he was given authority over the nations. I mean, what's Daniel looking at? He's looking at the divine council, the heavenly host surrounding the throne of God. He's looking at the Elohim, little e, surrounding the throne of Elohim, big E, the creator of all things. And so we see that in Revelation, John chapter 4 and John chapter 5. John goes into the presence of the, of the throne of God, and what does he say? He says, I see a throne, him who is seated on it, and in the middle of the throne is the Lamb who holds the seven-sealed scroll, and around the throne are twelve other thrones, and around those are the four living creatures, and around those are ten thousand times ten thousand angels. So what's he looking at? The same thing Daniel saw, the divine council, the heavenly host, and on and on. The, the, the scriptures tell us it's right before our face, but they also tell us that in the garden, at least there, we know that there was a fall. We know that some of the heavenly hosts rebelled and followed after Satan in order to try to capture this creation, this world, for themselves. Mm. They are known as the fallen ones, or the demonic realm, or the angels of Satan, Jesus mm. calls. Satan and his angels, Jesus calls them. So so what are they? They are Elohim, but they are the fallen Elohim. Mm-hmm. And so and when they we want talk, to come back and take over. Well, absolutely, and they're doing it now, and now this brings light. My title is goes to Ephesians 6. Now listen to Ephesians 6. Uh-huh. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, mm. but it is against powers, authorities, and principalities in the unseen realm. 
Therefore, gird yourself up with the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand. Now, brother, we usually preach and teach that in some little cute Sunday school lesson about spiritual warfare and how how devil the devil tempted me to eat three bowls of ice cream last night instead of one. So, so I was, you know, so bad. Y'all pray for me. I'm doing some spiritual warfare. I cussed twice yesterday, and, and you know I shouldn't. Man, devil made me do it. No, no. All of that is our stupid sin nature and our flesh and bad decisions. That's mm. not spiritual warfare. That the Spiritual warfare is not about Craig or Carl so much as it is about the the gods, the little g, the mm. fallen ones behind the thrones of the earth that are attempting to take over this earth. Brother, they're taking over our nation right now. Yeah. Now, they're I need to over- ask you a question here because this has been that Ephesians 6 has been like a sticking point. And I mean, because as you know, I'm a simple man. Country boy on top of it, okay? <laughs> well, no, no, no you, you're putting words in my mouth, brother. I've never said that about you, <laughs> and I don't think that about you either. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead with your illustration. Well, I've I've always kind of gotten that part of, of the way you explain the um, the powers of the unseen, and but the words have a dual meaning and now in English a principality uh, can also be a location and so when you say uh, you're fighting against powers of um, in the uh, religious world and in the uh, civil world the civil world would be a principality like here the city of Richmond is a principality the county of Henrico is a principality so it seems like pow- just powerful people. The um, the Sanhedrin were, you know, the religious leaders. And today I call him Reverend Chickenfoot. Uh, I often use uh, for a preacher who would fit that description where it says they have a form of godliness but deny the power because it really their heart's not in it. Maybe they're in the religion business and not uh, trying to really truly be a son of God. And so... I sort of look at this as the way it happens where the rubber meets the road. And is it possible that both things are true, that people who allow themselves to be yielded vessels of Satan, uh, if we look at the unseen world, where the seen world is right in your face and you give them a pass? Yes. No, that's exactly right. That is the double meaning. I mean, you've hit on it perfectly, Brother Craig, and that's what Paul is trying to warn us about. He says, let me tell you what this life is about. Yes, the flesh and blood is right in front of you. Yes, the kings. And listen, these principalities are also inside today's modern church, brother. Yes. And not just in the halls of Congress or governments or, or in the Middle East or among ISIS or in yes, Europe. It says high in heavenly places, so yes. I take the, that as not only what you describing on the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm, isn't a church or a temple a high and heavenly place? Exactly. And so the point is that the double meaning is clearly there. But what Paul is trying to do is to wake up our spiritual eyes, because we're so tempted to see everything from a fleshly, earthly view alone. That's why he's saying, please understand, Mm. our battle is not, and I'm going to add this word, and I know you're not supposed to add to the Word of God, but this is the context. This uh-huh. is the context. Paul is saying, but our battle is not only against flesh and blood. 
mm-hmm. but also against the powers behind the thrones, mm-hmm. the principalities. And by the way, principality, the, 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 the most archaic definition of it means a, a, an area governed by a prince. Okay, mm. and when you get to the book of Daniel, what do we discover when one of the angels comes to 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 the Daniel in Daniel light. chapter He's ten? He comes to Je- Daniel chapter in Daniel, and he says, "I've come from the throne of God to bring the answer to your prayer. Your prayers have received been received by the throne of God." He said, "But I had to battle the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece on the way." Mm. He wasn't talking about literal literal physical kings. Mm. He was talking about the powers behind the thrones, the princes of the principalities. That's what Paul is writing about. That's what spiritual warfare is in our day, brother. This is not about how many bowls of ice cream we eat. (laughs) This is about the kingdom of Satan getting ready to manifest itself in the kingdom of the Antichrist. It's about the kingdom of God getting ready to come to this earth in Mm -hmm. in the person of Jesus Christ. It's about a battle in the heavenly realms that's raging. Revelation 12, 12 says, Satan has been cast down. Now, brother, we're like 15 seconds from a bottom of the hour break. So, okay, go. Okay. And, uh, and folks, if you're just joining us, we have my very, very good friend, Brother Carl, Pastor Carl Gallops, discussing his latest book, Gods and Thrones. We will be right back. Back to the program, Virginia, your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on Virginia's Big Dog Radio program, The Really Real Deal. And uh, I would like to remind you all out there that uh, we are starting now to uh, play Best of Your Friendly Neighborhood Hatchet Man, Brother Craig, on Sunday mornings, uh, 9 to 11 tomorrow morning. So hopefully when you're on your way to church, you'll listen to a little bit of uh, Brother Craig and uh, some of the fantastic guests that we've had over the years, uh, like my good friend here, uh, Brother Carl Gallops. And uh, and also this Wednesday will be my first uh, television episode of five. Uh, uh, Wednesday from 7.30 to 8.30, Comcast Channel 95, Verizon Channel 36. And uh, we're looking very much forward to uh, to seeing you there, and uh, it is a call-in uh, on Verizon and uh, Comcast. And uh, now, also, we're going to get back. The title of the book is Gods and Thrones. Uh, my good friend and uh, this brother, uh, book number six, uh, he is officially a bestseller. Uh, you've, uh, I think your first one was a bestseller, too, wasn't it, brother? Yes, sir, it was. I'm, yes. I'm so blessed. And, and in fact, I, I've... Um... It achieved the rank of uh, on Amazon uh, because you remember they sell millions of books, uh, mm-hmm. uh, top sixty. In other words, several of my books have been in the top sixty of all seventeen million books on Amazon. Wow! So That's... the Lord is just really, really blessed. Yeah, and there's so much. I and I know I had asked for forty five minutes. I'm just I'm praying that we'd be able to get the whole hour in with you, brother. Yeah. Did you want me to answer your question about Nakash? Because it ties together. If you would, please. I mean, um, and I and also I'm looking at. Um, oh gosh, I'm having brain freeze here. Bail. Okay, yeah. maybe we can get to bail because my understanding was that there was uh, some uh, idol to bail constructed. 
this year, okay? Yeah. And yeah. so and it's yeah. all this old stuff. And if we, we yeah, can they took if, it on world tour. Yeah. 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 So if yeah. we could get to that and what your thoughts are on uh all this interfaith uh these interfaith attempts uh particularly with uh Islam, which is uh, yeah. a religion that uh came uh six hundred years after Christ. Yeah. Well, brother, let me just tell you, I'm not inviting myself back, but I can tell you by the time you read this book that you're going to have 12 more shows you're going to want to do or oh, questions. Well, look, you know, you always welcome here, brother, so we, we'd well, love to know, have you more. I just yes. want to tell you, I'm quite aware so many hosts get frustrated after they've read the book because they say, oh my gosh, I need to have you on for the next year. I don't, I've learned so much. I said, oh my gosh, thank you. But, but anyway, here's the yes. deal. Let me just explain this Nakash because the title of the book is mm-hmm. Gods and Thrones. And then the subtitle is Nakash, Forgotten Prophecy, and the Return of the Elohim. Now that your audience knows what Elohim means, that word return means the demonic outpouring of the last days that the Bible is so clear about. Mm. I mean, just in no uncertain terms, the New Testament, you know, Paul says, the Spirit clearly says in the last days, this demonic outpouring, this apostasy they'll cause, the kings, they'll go to the kings of the earth and deceive them, John tells us in Revelation, and on and on and on. So that's what's happening. That's what's happening before. For our eyes. People ask, why is this world going crazy? Why is America going crazy? Why is the Middle East going crazy? The Bible told us what was going to happen, mm-hmm. and that's the times in which we're living. But this term, nakash, it's a Hebrew word, again, and it translates literally to serpent. Now, we don't use the word serpent too much anymore. We would say the word snake. Right. Uh, so, um, but, but that's what it translates to. But it also has another nuance of meaning, which is in the Hebrew lexicon very clearly. And it says, however, it is used often symbolically to mean one who whispers magically, one who is artfully deceitful. And then it says, especially Satan. So we realize that the term Nakash is a name used for Satan in the scriptures as well. Mm. Now, watch this. The first time we hear the word serpent, or as we would say in our modern language, snake, is in Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And so we've got all these sermons and Sunday school lessons and little children's bedtime stories showing a talking snake wrapped around a tree, convincing a woman to eat a piece of fruit. And when she does, every man, woman, boy, and girl goes to hell forever for the rest of eternity. And, and the whole world falls and everything messes up because a talking snake convinces. By the way, he had to be a really <laughs> smart snake because not only could he talk the human language, but he could deceive the human being. Mm. I mean, or, or that is a metaphor, not that Adam and Eve are metaphors. They're not. They're Mm. literal. The garden was literal. The fall was literal. But the story of what happened was either a literal snake talking human language, convincing a woman to eat a piece of fruit, or all of that has hugely symbolic meaning backed Mm -hmm. up by Scripture. And what I tell people, I start here, and this is all the time I have to do on this right now, but this will be important to your folks. Mm -hmm. So we got to ask, before we start talking about the trees and the fruit and the eating, and is that symbolic, we just start with the serpent. Is that a real snake? Mm -hmm. And you know what? Three times the Bible says, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's Satan. Let me just go and show you the three times. Go to Revelation 12, and Jesus is talking, and he says, and that ancient serpent called Satan, who Mm -hmm. is Satan, 
the devil. Mm-hmm. So, 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 the, so Revelation tells us, you know, that one that we call the serpent, that ancient one, how ancient is he? Well, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, uh, who is he really? It's not a talking snake. Who is it? The Bible says, no, that's Satan. That's the devil. Revelation 12 tells us that. Go now, to second quest, qu- question on the, the serpent and the powers of the serpent. And uh, there, there's a place where uh, Christians are instructed to be as gentle as a dove, but as wise as a serpent. And there, there's also a place where uh, Moses' staff becomes a serpent that eats the serpent of the magician of Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. So, And there's also the place where the serpent is lifted up in the wilderness. Those are three. Yeah. You want me to go down those? Because Would you please? All, those are th- okay, now I'm going to have to get totally off subject of where I was and leave everybody hanging. Well, because these are three different, <laughs> completely different contexts, and I'll be glad to handle them. But, brother, what kind of time limit? Well, do we let's, have? okay, we've got twenty more minutes, so let's um, let me let you get back on track. And like you said, we're gonna have to have you back again if you'd be so kind to do so. I, oh, brother, I'd be glad to. You know, I love you and love your audience, but I just don't want to leave people hanging because okay. what the, it's it's not fair to them. Plus, it's not fair to me because people will then judge me and say, you can't believe what that preacher said on the radio. Oh, okay. Well, but I didn't finish what I was saying. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, this the, the thing with the serpents, I just, like I said, I just, I've got the book <laughs> y- last yesterday, and I'm yeah. just trying to digest it, and it just fascinated me because there are all these things that, you, you like you said, you'll read it, and you'll say, oh, wow, and that's yeah. what I was doing. Thank you, brother. You're so kind. You're so kind. Hey, just just when you read it, and I know you will, it'll suck you in. And by the time you're done, all of these questions will be answered for you. But I would love to come back on oh, and just share okay. whatever you want. But let me finish this. And we may have time to do everything you've asked, but let me just finish this. So the question is, is the serpent in the garden, is that a talking snake or is it something else? Well, as I was saying, Revelation 12 tells us in no uncertain terms. No, it's Satan. It is, it is the being, Satan. Now watch this. So we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul says the same thing. He says, just like Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden. Okay, so he uses the word serpent, but then he goes on, and just a few verses later, he starts saying, you know, this is Satan, and even Satan can appear as an angel of light. He can, I mean, you know, he can appear to be a messenger from heaven who's speaking truth, because that's what he did in the garden. But he wasn't a talking snake. He was Nakash, just like Eve was deceived by Nakash. And then Paul goes on to say, but that's Satan. That was Satan. But get this, go back to Ezekiel chapter 28. Oh my gosh, God himself, through the prophet Ezekiel, is declaring a judgment upon Satan, and he says, you were in the garden, but I cast you out as profane. And that word profane means he defiled himself. He defiled the garden. He defiled the creation. And my book talks about what that defilement probably consisted of based upon what other New Testament writers say. That's another whole program. But the bottom line is, God says in Ezekiel 28, you were in the garden. You, Satan, not a talking snake. Mm. And then it goes on to say, and you were an anointed cherub. Oh, my gosh. Mm. God tells us Satan was one of the cherubim. Well, who are the cherubim? Ezekiel tells us the cherubim are the living creatures. 
Well, when you get to Revelation, you see the four living creatures guarding the throne of God. That was what Satan was. He was one of those. He was not a talking snake. The Bible tells us three times that the Genesis Garden narrative is not about a talking snake. Mm -hmm. It's about Satan and all of his glory and his beauty and his majesty and his deceitfulness and his and his power of manipulation. Yeah, folks need he, to grow up out of those childhood um, uh, tales. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Ephesians six passage. We want to make mm -hmm. it about how many bowls of ice cream we ate, and it's really about this hellish battle taking place among mm -hmm. the nations and Satan's desire to take over the world. Mm -hmm. We want to make Genesis three to be a children's bedtime story with a talking snake convincing a woman to eat an apple, while the rest of the world who doesn't understand the Word of God laughs at us and says mm -hmm. we're 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 believing children's bedtime stories, and they're right if that's what we believe. But but if you read the rest of the scriptures, the rest of the scriptures tell us what happened in the garden, who Nakash the serpent was, what he was doing, what it was that brought the whole creation down to the depths of hell in need of a Savior and the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It's all right there, but you have to connect the dots, and my book connects the dots. And that's mm -hmm. all I'm going to say about that, brother. Oh, what else okay. you want to talk about? Well, we would, um, this, this thing with Baal, uh, and this is uh, straight out of the Old Testament, and it's right back in our faces in 2017. And, yes, sir. You know, yes, Christian sir. faith is uh, the really the only faith that's under attack is the Christian faith. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Tell me, how much time do we have, brother? And then we I'll have how to... 15 more minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, right. let me answer the question like this. All right. You are right. The, the term Baal, B-A-A-L, now that's how we usually say it in the English. In Hebrew, it would be more, most correctly pronounced Baal, with kind of a guttural stop, but none of us speak that way, so we don't call it Baal, and I'll just call it Baal, because that's what everybody calls it, mm -hmm. but in the English anyway, B-A-A-L. We run into that name early on in the scriptures, and then we see it used in different forms, kind of like Elohim and then B'nai Elohim, and you know, so Baal is the same way. There's different forms, but we see it. So we find out about Baal worship, which was instituted or, or brought among the Israelites through the Canaanites, and that's why God told them, go destroy them all. And once we understand what it was all about, you'll understand why God said, go destroy them all. But the bottom line is, it's the most ancient of the, watch this, of the gods, little g, the fallen ones that the, that the ancient world was worshiping. They were worshiping. You say, yeah, but that's just an old worthless idol. Oh, yeah, but the first two commandments in the Bible do not worship any other what? Gods, little g, and do not build any kind of a graven image unto them. Mm -hmm. If you do, I will pass this curse upon you down through your children to many generations. That's the commandments, brother. The first two commandments are about don't bow down to the fallen Elohim. Mm -hmm. These are demons, and you can build little statues, and you can summon their presence, and they'll show up, not because of what you built. That's worthless, but because you're calling upon them. Mm -hmm. And God said, this is defiling my name. It is horrific. I will that, that will be a generational curse if you bring that to your home. See how powerful this is once we mm -hmm. understand this, brother? Craig? Yes. And Baal was the oldest of them all. And they would build these platforms. They would build these state, 
statues. They would have these rituals. And you know what the rituals consisted of? The, the, the three main elements was to be in a drug-induced, alcohol-induced state of ecstasy, mm-hmm. to sacrifice children in the flames for good luck. They were told if you will get rid, if you will sacrifice children to Baal, your children, um, you, you will be financially um, made, Baal will bless you with finances. Um, they also had massive sexual orgies in front of these things, homosexual sex, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So all of these things that even are a part of our culture today were deeply ingrained in the Baal worship. And it was so filthy, it was so connected to the demonic realm, it was so degrading to an entire culture that God told the ancient Israelites, destroy the nations around you, destroy them all, or else they will infect your entire world. And so anyway, when we get that, go ahead. No, well, Brother Carl, what is it about these preachers that won't preach that and won't come against, I mean, look at what's happening. The Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts are merging. You, you, you have uh, a homosexual secretary of the Army. You have, you know, Harvey Weinstein. You have, I mean, you, you know, all the, you know, you can just go on. I could spend five minutes just detailing all the sexual perversions from, from the bathroom book, issues. My, yeah, my book answers the question. I can't wait till you read it. <laughs> <laughs> it answers it in great detail, brother. It goes all the way to the garden, yeah, and, and then forward from there. Yeah, I, I mean, just just wait till you read it, brother. It's gonna it's gonna blow you away what you're gonna see and what you're gonna learn. But but connected to the bail stuff, think about it. Mm-hmm. All of this perversion you're just talking about, your observations are absolutely correct. It's connected to bail worship. Well, bail worship is the oldest form of demonic worship, which would mean it's the oldest form of the worship of Satan himself. Mm -hmm. And when we get to the New Testament, that's exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says it. And Mm -hmm. I write about that in my book, and I give the examples where Jesus defines Baal himself as none other than Satan, Mm -hmm. disguised as this idol to attract people to him. Now, so we understand what the Old Testament says about Baal. We understand what history says about Baal. Now we know what Jesus says about Baal. And Baal is mentioned all through the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Now let's talk about 2016 and 2017. Yes. So we've got ISIS uprising, the Middle East on fire, Syria collapsing into an irreconcilable civil war, Turkey collapsing into the rise of a new Ottoman Empire into an Islamic caliphate, uh, uh, Christianity being exterminated. And in the meantime, ISIS marches into a city called Palmyra, Syria, Mm -hmm. and they destroy an ancient Roman temple of Baal, okay? And then ISIS later destroys what's called the Arch of Palmyra, which is the archway of Baal that overlooked the entrance to the temple of Baal. And everybody that went into the temple to sacrifice their children, to do their orgies, to get drug-induced, to worship the demon who is Satan, everybody had to pass under that arch. It was a proclamation of saying, I am now committing my life unto Baal. I am passing under his arch. Okay. When the temple was destroyed, certain powers in the world were very upset about it. But when the archway was destroyed, groups got together, elite 
billionaire groups from around the world, they got together and they reconstructed the arch, the Palmyra Arch, Mm -hmm. the Archway of Baal, and declared it to be of historical significance. And then in 2016, they said, we're going to take it on a world tour to display it. Mm -hmm. All right, now, please hear me. And I'm very balanced with this in my book, but when I tell you everything, it'll freak you out. I understand that even pagan artifacts are historical artifacts, and they are worthy of museum display and learning about and, mm-hmm. you know, and teaching our children right and wrong and go to the museum, see this Baal temple, see this Baal arch. That's nasty. The Bible yeah, talks about it. and tell the truth about it, though. That's right. Exactly. Right. Okay, so I'm cool with that. So when I first heard they were going to put this on display, I thought, well, okay, this is just like a little museum piece they're going to take around the world. But, brother, that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. The first place they took it was to London, the number one economic capital of the world. Mm -hmm. And they unveiled it, and they had a ceremony celebrating the Arch to Baal, and they unveiled it on the day of Beltane. Your audience can look that up. And Beltane is the official day upon which the people who worship Baal, the Satanists, the occultists, Every day, like there's a Halloween that's deeply connected to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have maybe Resurrection Sunday and Christmas and Thanksgiving and all these things we have. Right. Well, the Satanists have their holidays, and Beltane is one of their main holidays. It is the day that they worship Baal, wow. and they call upon the whole world to worship Baal. So it was unveiled in the number one economic capital of the world, the major city of the European Union, mm-hmm. on Beltane with a ceremony. Then they took it from there to New York City and unveiled it a block away from Ground Zero. Mm-hmm. And they declared it as a symbol of freedom. Yeah. Well, this is why how, I wanted to ask you about it. I remember this, and this is yeah. like, this is so disturbing that well, it gets we worse. have such few people to speak out about it. Yeah, it gets worse. They unveiled it as a symbol of freedom. The mayor said, this represents freedom. And you know what? She's right. But what it represents is freedom from God, Mm. freedom from morality, freedom from sexual morality, freedom from demonic reaching out to the demons. Mm. We have freedom to do this. She actually said that. She didn't say those words, but she said it represents freedom. But Paul did say, brother, that our freedom is not for sin, that God created us free. That's it. Yeah. So watch this. So they unveiled it there. Where? New York City. What's in New York City? It's the number two economic capital of the world. It represents the power of the number one powerful nation of the world, the number one economy of the world. It also represents where um, Ground Zero is, and it also is the home of the United Nations. You know, this one world order, this globalist thing, which, by the way, Revelation 13 tells us that's what the Antichrist is involved in. Right. One world order, globalism, that's the spirit of Antichrist. We don't need God. We just need the governments and technology coming together under one government, and we will worship that as our Messiah. Uh, Revelation 13 is clear that that's going yeah. to happen one day. Now, so quick then they question, took it, brother. Uh, London, London is now closing in on being Londonistan with with the Muslim mayor. Oh, no and, doubt. Okay, so it's, we it's see... It's all connected. Right. So, and then the Western world, I've been reading a lot about this lately, that fertility rates in the Western world are down 40%. And the, the, the Muslim world, they're popping out four and five babies per woman. 
Okay, yeah. so I mean, do the math. Uh, how long it will will take? Uh, some people say in thirty years. Some people say in fifty years. But no one is saying that it's not going to happen. The total uh, elimination of Christianity in Europe, uh, similar to what we see in cities in the Middle East, where was the a lot of these cities were the birthplace of Christianity, and now you can't find a Christian there. Yeah. Well, no, you're right. You're right. And so it's all tied together. And so after they took it to London, then they took it to New York City. Then in the beginning of 2017, they took it to Dubai in the Middle East. Oh. Well, why, what was going on in Dubai? <laughs> well, number one, Dubai is one of the major economic capitals of the Islamic world. And what was going on when they unveiled it? the Global Governance Council, representing 120 nations, 4,000 people. Barack Obama and others spoke there, Elon Musk. Their charter statement of foundation is, we're trying to bring the whole world together under one umbrella, and then it says, comma, all 7 billion of us. And how did they open the conference? They unveiled the Arch of Baal, and they paid homage to it. But that's not all. Then about six months later in 2017, um, not six months later, three or four months later, in this year, 2017, they took it to Florence, Italy, at the opening of the G7 summit. Brother, every time that veil was celebrated and unveiled with ceremony, Mm -hmm. it was done at a globalist center of the world. It is as though Satan himself is claiming his territory and spitting in the face of God, saying, I'm getting ready to own the whole world. Wow, that's powerful, brother. Folks, you've got to get this book. And uh, All of that's in that book. Yep. Yes. you. Everything got, we've talked about is in that book. You have got to get this book, folks. Um, Gods and Thrones, uh, Brother Carl Gallops. And, uh, brother, this you are, you are so right now. I'm going to have to dig into this, and we're going to have to have you back, brother. Thank you. <laughs> well, let me put it like this. I am not inviting myself, but I will be glad to come. But I promise you, oh, with the relationship okay. we have, when you finish reading that book, you're going to want to talk some more about this stuff. Oh, look, I wish I had another hour already. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you're so kind. You're such a great brother, man. I love well, you. Please give your wife and father-in-law my love. I and, will do that. And you too, uh, to Pam, please, you know, thank you. You know tell her that... Um, you know, Kimberly and I, we just send our love your way. And uh, I will. Yeah, so will, anyway, brother. we're right up at the end of the program. I know. I, I just want to thank you again. It's all. It's such an honor. You do so much with your, your TV, your radio, your writings, uh, your travel, and you manage to have time to be the full-time pastor of a of a of a real church, okay? Yeah, it so. really is. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good-sized church too. I mean, it keeps me busy. Good, yeah, gracious. But they're yeah. sweet people. They've had me there. I'm in my thirty-first year as their pastor. Wow, wow. So God bless. So you've already had your thirtieth anniversary celebration, then? Yes, they did. They oh. sure did. They had a thirtieth anniversary celebration. They were so sweet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, brother, we're like less than a minute to the program, so yeah. we, we're going to have to. Uh, say goodbye uh, for right now, but we're going to have you back real, real soon. And thank you again, and God bless you, brother. My pleasure. God bless you. Folks can find out all about me at carlgallops.com. Thank you, Brother Craig. All right. God bless you now. God bless you, buddy. All right. 
Well, all right, folks, we're going to let that wrap the program up. And again, that's Gods and Thrones is the book. Uh, Carl Gallups uh, is the author. CarlGallops.com is the website. Uh, remember, tomorrow, 9 to 11, right here, your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, one of our best of programs. And next Wednesday, 7.30 to 8.30, uh, Channel 95 Comcast, Channel 36 Verizon. God bless you, Virginia. 